Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to this episode of Talk About Talk, where today we talk about our voices. I am Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Thank you so much for listening. Most of us come out of the womb using our voices, crying our little hearts out, right? So using our voice is instinctive. Of course, it can be taught. Just like language and body language, it seems that using our voices is both instinctive as well as learned. Of course, there are people who make their living using their voice. Consider announcers, voiceover artists, actors, public speakers, singers, and yes, podcasters. Speaking of singers, for this episode, I had the great privilege of interviewing a professional baritone opera singer, Mr. Bradley Christensen. I realized when I was doing the research for this episode that I know almost nothing about using my voice. Kind of ironic for a podcaster, right? I learned a lot. Before we get started, let me share with you three takeaways that you'll learn in this podcast. First, there are various vocal elements, including rate, volume, articulation, pronunciation, fluency, and pitch. You'll learn the definitions of these vocal elements and hints about how to use them. Secondly, you will learn about vocal fry, which was a completely new term to me. What it is, and importantly, why you should avoid it. And last, from opera singer Bradley Christensen, you will learn many things to think about when you're trying to optimize the sound of your voice, from posture, to breathing, to using what he calls your inner smile. Before we get to that interview, let me briefly share with you some research that I uncovered. There are so many questions that I have about voices, I almost didn't know where to start. First, I wondered, how do we conceive of voice as an element of communication? Well, linguists, that is, people who study language, talk about paralanguage as a component of metacommunication that imparts meaning. It can be conscious or not, and it can be consistent, or it can actually be inconsistent with the words. Paralanguage includes your voice and various aspects of the voice, including, for example, organic aspects like how big you are, your sex, or your age, as well as expressive aspects such as volume, pitch, and tempo. Of course, voices are important. There's no debating that. Forgetting the words and even the body language, which of course have an effect, certain voices can engage us, alarm us, seduce us, or even put us to sleep. There is some evidence that certain voices may be attributed to various levels of confidence, leadership, expertise, and persuasion. According to numerous sources that I found, ex-British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, also known as the Iron Lady, was told before she ran for her second term that she should lower the pitch of her voice. She actually hired a voice coach from the National Theatre, and she succeeded, both in lowering her voice and in winning the election. I've included in the show notes to this episode links to two short videos that show the change in her voice. By the way, along with every episode that you can listen to as a podcast on our website at talkabouttalk.com, I've included show notes where there's transcripts and links to really interesting references that I found, including, for example, these videos. Anyway, the Iron Lady, she lowered her voice by 46 hertz. 
But you know what? There's more to voice than pitch. Let me define voice and its elements. Pitch is one of many vocal elements. The six vocal elements are rate, volume, articulation, pronunciation, fluency, and pitch. Of course, speaking too fast or too slow or with too high of a pitch or mispronunciating words is very annoying. We should strive to keep our voices within an appropriate or ideal range for each of these vocal elements. However, if you're making a speech, voice coaches encourage people to use a variety in most of these vocal elements to help keep audiences engaged. Let me define each of them for you. First of all, rate is the speed or cadence of your voice, measured in words per minute. Apparently, faster speakers are considered more enthusiastic and better informed. When I first started learning about podcasting and working on Talk About Talk, I learned from many podcasting experts that they recommend that podcasters slow their voice way down. But since then, I heard from many people that they actually speed up their podcast when they listen to it. So talk about talk listeners out there. I really want to know, am I speaking too fast or too slow? Please email me and let me know. Andrea at talkabouttalk.com. In case you're wondering, typical conversation is about 150 words per minute, which is about how fast I'm speaking. Popular TED Talks come in at about 150 to 200 words per minute. The fastest speaker, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is Stephen Woodmore, who speaks at 637 words per minute. The second vocal element is volume. The volume of our voice is, of course, how loud it is, measured in decibels. A normal conversation is about 60 decibels. A chainsaw is about 100 decibels, and a siren is about 140 decibels. Again, variety and volume is good, and louder is probably better than softer, since low-volume speakers are sometimes considered meek. Third, articulation. Articulation is the clarity of your voice. People who don't articulate clearly are often thought of as lazy. You want to articulate. The fourth vocal element is pronunciation. Pronunciation is the accent, the emphasis, and the correctness of the sound of the words. How we pronounce things says a lot. It implicitly communicates where we are from geographically and even things like education and class. In a few minutes, you will hear baritone opera singer Bradley Christensen. He's from New Zealand and he now lives in Toronto. His accent, never mind his pitch and articulation, are fabulous. You'll see. Speaking of accents, I found a fascinating video that shows how Hillary Clinton's accent has evolved over time. You'll find a link to it in the show notes if you're curious. Pronunciation isn't just about accents, though. It's also about which syllables to emphasize. Personally, I've noticed that some people who are very well-read mispronounce some words, maybe because they've only seen the word and they've only read it, but they've never heard it. That reminds me. Recently, I had to look up how to pronounce the last name of Colin Kaepernick. You know, the football player turned Nike ambassador who took the knee in the football games. I was referencing him in an interview and I realized I actually had no idea how to pronounce his name. I'd only read it. For the record, it's Kaepernick. Back to our list of vocal elements. The next vocal element is fluency. Fluency is the flow of your speech. Usually, you want to avoid awkward pauses, and of course, you want to avoid the ums and the ahs. Recording and listening to your own speech is a great way to get a handle on your own fluency and to work to improve it. Now, the last vocal element, pitch. Pitch is, in simple terms, how high or how low a voice is. Think of a piano or a keyboard. For singers, their voice is categorized according to their pitch. 
starting with the highest female voice, soprano, then mezzo-soprano, then contralto, then for men, it's countertenor, tenor, baritone, like our friend Bradley Christensen, and the deepest is bass. If you want to determine what pitch your voice is at, there are many online resources. For the record, I am contralto. I've included a link to a website that will help you determine your pitch if you're interested. Pitch is typically higher for females, lower for males. Our pitch usually deepens with age, particularly during adolescence. You may have noticed that some people's voices get raspier as they age. This is called presbyphonia, which means aging voice. This is a result of dry vocal cords and reduced lung capacity. And yes, you can damage your vocal cords through overuse or just from aging. There are some things we can do, though, to preserve our youthful voices, like staying well hydrated and physically fit, particularly lung capacity. So yes, cardio helps. There are all sorts of other things we can do to improve the sounds of our voices. Things like good posture, deep breathing, and even facial expressions can affect our voice. Yes, we can fine-tune our voices. In fact, we often refer to our voice as an instrument, right? Now let me introduce you to someone who makes a living with this instrument, his voice, professional baritone opera singer Bradley Christensen. New Zealand-born Bradley Christensen is a graduate of the University of Auckland, where he completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Italian and a Bachelor of Music with Honours in voice and violin. Bradley obtained his master's degree from the University of Toronto, where he was a recipient of the U of T Faculty of Music Vocal Performance and Pedagogy Graduate Award. Bradley is also an alumnus of the prestigious Rebanks Family Fellowship and International Performance Residency Program at the Royal Conservatory's Glenn Gould School. Bradley won numerous awards while a student and now as a performer in both concert and opera stages across Canada and abroad. Recently, Bradley earned praise for his, quote, most well-rounded instrument, focused, rich, and sympathetically communicative. That's from the Ottawa Citizen. He was also recently hailed for, quote, his imposing height, handsome stage presence, and attractive lyric baritone. That's from Opera Canada. Let's do this. Welcome, Bradley Christensen. Thank you, Bradley, for being here. You're welcome. Great to be here. Let's get into it. I've heard and read and, and seen anecdotally that people with deeper voices seem to be more successful. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? Absolutely. I read when I was doing some research for this interview that people with deeper voices yeah. are typically all else equal more successful. So we can make our voices deeper. How do we do that? Yeah. And <laughs> to ask this question uh, to an opera singer is fabulous because I too have heard this and I know that the way we listen to a speaking voice uh, affects our perception of someone. But as an opera singer, I am always trying to find that natural voice, that natural instrument that doesn't have anything put on it. So I know that when it comes to the lowering of a voice, people find that someone who does have a lower voice, uh, they seem to think that that person has more strength. Authority? Authority. So they could, you know, lead a company uh you know, much more effectively than someone with a high voice. I think the perception of someone with a high voice is that of immaturity or youth. And I think I read um, research online that shows that the top CEOs for big companies across the States are earning 30 
million dollars or more than others based on the fact that their voices are X number of hertz lower than someone else's. So yeah, I've, I've seen all that. But as a, again, a singer in opera, I can't change the voice I have. Well, you have what I would say is absolutely the most amazing voice. And I'm, <laughs> I was thinking that people must stop in their tracks when they hear you sometimes. And I was imagining that maybe you're in the grocery store and you make a comment to the cashier. And do you get comments about your voice? Um, yes, it's, it's funny. I, of course, I get more comments in North America based on the accent as well. Uh, but there's the accent and then the resonance and people do inquire. And so when I say that I'm an opera singer, they're like, oh, it makes so much sense. Yeah. You, know, you sound like so... an opera singer, but with all due respect, you don't look like one. I think that actually is a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I think where opera has gone in the last, um, say, 20 years, that stereotypical big singer is no longer big old man right you think big old man but i think you're right that has evolved well it's because uh people you know with the introduction of cinema broadcasting live broadcasting of the shows they want it to sort of be complete and if you're having someone who performing don giovanni who has slept with a thousand and three women in italy and then another 800 and something in germany you're not going to want uh, someone who doesn't quite fit the bill right. or that we would perceive who could fit the bill. Right. Uh, so to some extent, your performance is also your appearance. Yes. Yeah. And more so than it has ever been. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the impact that you have just in public when you're engaging in conversations that there's the accent that throws people off and then also the resonance. And I mm-hmm. want to, I want to talk about both. So, mm. so what is resonance? Well, the physiology of the chamber where sound is uh, produced all creates a, a resonance, a, a sound quality. And so for me, I am quite tall. I have a big lung capacity, a long neck. So you have, you know, a lot of open space. So are baritones bigger and i don't mean necessarily their girth but they're more likely to be tall it's it's interesting you ask that uh generally speaking yes we sort of look at the voice as uh musical instruments or i think of it as um a stringed instrument and when you have a violin a violin plays at a higher pitch frequency than a viola or a cello and then of course you know the double bass right and i equate that with the length of the neck with you know, the male-female voice. But, of course, there are exceptions to the rules. You look at me, uh, six foot three, and you say, yeah, more baritone bass. Most tenors are probably five foot something. Uh, Some might not have necks or, you know, very small necks. And then you have your mezzos and sopranos. You know, the higher sopranos, again, generally shorter. Then, of course, you have, as I said, the exceptions. Uh, I know a tenor who was six foot five, a neck as long as my head. My wife is a coloratura soprano, and she is five foot eleven. 
doesn't necessarily fit into that uh, stereotypical box that we talk about. Men typically have deeper voices and they are typically bigger. But again, there's many exceptions, right? Yeah. 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 So how does your accent affect what you do? It's a good question. And one that I've laughed about a few times. When I was down in New Hampshire last year, we had a Q&A after this performance with kids who had come to the show. And one of them said, you have an accent, but they couldn't quite understand how I had just performed in English and I sounded like everyone else. And then I come back and I have a totally different accent. I, I found that intriguing as well. Yeah. I am terrible at some accents uh, and I've lost a contract uh, because I was terrible. I had got through uh, the audition period and normally in an audition you sing two arias if they like you, three. I had just got through three arias and then they wanted me to come back and do a reading that evening um, because this opera had dialogue. Did they tell you why? Well, it's because the opera has dialogue and they want to... They didn't say we're looking at your accent, though? Well, here's the thing. When I went in, I got the script and I had a look. I had, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so. I look at it and I see that there are apostrophes at the ends of words um, where consonants should have been. So I realized that this is a southern draw. So I... Fine, go. I, I know how to do a southern drawl, you know, Texan accent. Can I put you on the spot and ask you to do it? Uh, well, we'll say something like, you know, uh, when you have your... V- no, no. Um, oh, that'll be not nothing. All I had to do was go down, downtown, you know, there's this... Yeah, wow. you got it. So I find, I found when I did the reading, I was able to do that. The director then said, is it possible for you to do a North East American accent? Because I'm not sure where we're going to go with this. The park your car and Harvard Yard accent? So I went, well, how does that sound? Because I live in Toronto, there's New York, there's, which is different, of course. So I just said, well, you know, how does that sound? And he says, well, you know, Canadian, but without the A. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I laughed. It was soon afterwards that I discovered he is, in fact, Canadian, uh, even though it was a, an audition down in New York. Um, and I tried to do this North East American accent. And afterwards, he looked at me and said, Thank you very much. That's what we needed to see. Oh, wow. So I realized that I needed to get some training if I was to sing in an opera uh, or a musical that had dialogue or American dialogue. So most of the listeners here are not opera singers, mm-hmm. and in fact, they're not even singers, and they may not do anything for a living where their voices are explicitly being evaluated. However, in our lives, we are always all being implicitly evaluated mm-hmm. across many factors, including our voice. And mm-hmm. there are certain times in all of our lives, outside of being on the stage, when we want to sound good. So that could mean... sounding attractive maybe you're picking up the phone to ask your girlfriend to go on a date right and you want to sound attractive yeah or maybe you're answering a phone call from a prospective employer and you want to sound confident so Mm -hmm. sounding good could mean attractive it could mean confident whatever whatever it means Mm -hmm. 
Maybe you're giving a speech. Maybe you're hosting a podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you have any general advice for how people can optimize the sound Mm -hmm. of their voice? Of course, depending on what people bring to the table, there would be different exercises to, to work on. But in general advice, my belief is that they should aim for their own voice, their own truth. I think if we aim for this, then there can't be that interpretation of someone's putting on, therefore they're fake. Um, So you don't want to be a fraud. Exactly. If you're timid and so you speak quietly, you would then want to start looking at lowering that breath because as soon as your breath is high and you're taking shallow breaths as a, as a singer, we're breathing lower abdominals, you know, not into the chest. And if we're breathing into the chest, we'll get this high, high tension. And that lacks confidence. Even I'm just listening to you there, right? You hear sort of a shuddering. It's a shallow breathing versus exactly. And if it's shallow and if it's held high, you feel, and you'll probably hear it tension in the neck. And of course, the longer we go on like this, the more we get worried. And we, we can, of course, get to a point where we're hyperventilating it or, okay, I need a breather, I need a water, I need to chill. So for me, it's, and I can say this as much as I like, think of calm blue oceans, just think about that breath, low, centered. You breathe in, you can breathe in through your nose, but I like to breathe in through my mouth simply because I can feel that the larynx sort of drops, lowers, it's anchored. Interesting. Um, it's not rising, which then gives that high... You feel the coolness in a different yeah. part of your throat when you breathe in your mouth, don't you? The lungs operate as a vacuum. If you allow the breath to be just drawn in and allow that lower abdominal, the belly, just to open up... Right down past your yeah, belly Yeah. You find this, this freedom, which is why I also like to sigh or yawn. So if you're about to go on and you're nervous... Just do a yawn, and that opens up, you know, the right, throat. Because I believe yawning means that your body's craving oxygen. So it, you flare your nostrils and you open your mouth to inhale as deeply as possible. So fake a yawn, yeah. oxygenate your blood, yeah. and at the same time, yeah. fill your lungs so that your voice will sound more attractive and more confident. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And it's it's funny, and, I, and, and again, I can, I can say this now as someone who has worked professionally for a number of years. We do get rejected all the time and we have to learn to live with it. And the thing about the voice is it's unlike any other instrument because a piano, a violin is external, but the voice is internal. And so naturally we have an emotional attachment to it. And so when someone criticizes the voice, we feel we are as a person being criticized. And we have to then go, no, it's not me. It's how I'm using my instrument. And one of the best advices that I had from a director, and excuse my language, this can be edited out, was the f- attitude or, f- you know, I will walk into an audition and while I want to be hired, I also go, this is okay. You know, if I'm not, it's going to be okay. So, and that attitude affects your breathing and yeah. your confidence. Absolutely. Because your emotional state affects the voice. Right. You know, if you're panicked, it's going to sound in the voice. 
Yeah. Mm. And no one wants to go to the Metropolitan Opera and pay $250 for a ticket and hear someone that they're going, oh my God, is she okay? Or is he okay? Yeah, you know? you're right. No one wants to hear that. So in addition to breathing deeply and thinking of calm thoughts to optimize the mm-hmm. sound of our voice, to mm-hmm. make ourselves sound more attractive and yeah. more, more confident, what about posture? So the way you hold yourself um, communicates. Um, what about how it makes your voice sound? Yeah, well, I, I'll demonstrate now and uh, you'll be able to pick some things up. Okay. When your body is stacked and in alignment, everything can work. As to when you are optimal. as tall as possible? Yeah, I'll stand for this okay. and okay. demonstrate. Sure. So, if I'm standing tall with my feet shoulder width apart, hips relaxed but then balanced on my feet, and then I'm stacking all the way up to you know, the crown of my head. When I talk, I'm open and free. My breath is moving. I'm allowed to resonate freely. You're maximizing your lung capacity too, right? Yeah. Everything's working in its state that it should be. When I crouch over with my shoulders and I start to go in like this, you will start to hear that it goes further into the throat and I'm trying to compensate one because I'm tense here. You're tense in but, your lower belly. But because of the collapsing of my shoulders inward and because my neck has now been put out of alignment. So here, uh, just simply from moving around and you can hear that if you're standing tall, it's a much freer sound. Right. And you can rely on that when talking to a large audience or just a small one-on-one. So before you pick up the phone to call your prospective fiancé on a date or you see the phone number on your call display and it's your prospective employer and you want to sound confident and or attractive, stand up Mm -hmm. and stand straight and take a deep breath. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. And going back to what you were asking before as well regarding a few exercises that you can do. If you are feeling nervous, you've done your breathing, you're going out to speak. If you're someone who has a a breathier quality in the sound or you're wanting a bit more projection. Yep. My advice is you can, you know, do uh, some tongue trills, uh, some literals, but... Or tongue trills? Okay, I I heard that you can do the tongue trilling, but also put your lips together and go, and that pushes the sound, I guess, forward in your mouth instead of leaving it at the back. Even if you're speaking in a shallow tone, you want it to project. Yeah. So as a, as a singer of opera, we're aiming for the Italian school of chiaroscuro, light and dark. Interesting. So chiaro, light, scuro, dark. And this is something about resonances as well, is you can have what we call sort of a head voice or a hideous quality of the ha, 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 where it doesn't quite lack the body in the sound. So Certainly it's, uh, not yeah. diaphragmic breathing. It's right. very 
higher yeah. in your in your body. It's coming yeah. from a higher place. So it's got this light quality. Then you've got the uh, uh, that chest uh, resonance. We want to have that balanced. Then we have also sort of backspace, as you mentioned. If you have backspace, you're like, oh, you're not going to then get the projection. The, the projection. So you aim for a bit more forward quality. Uh, and <laughs> when I do this, I uh, I try to go to my neighbours. You know, being from New Zealand, I think of Australians because they naturally speak with a lot of nasal resonance. And I re- I really go here, yeah. But I try and see how nasal I can go without actually being nasal. And a trick to that is... Uh, so Ladies what, and gentlemen, he was plugging his nose when he did that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you plug your nose and go... Uh, and you f- hear that nasal quality, which we've all tried as kids. But then you open up the back a bit. Uh, You've got that frontal resonance, that ring, but while having the backspace. Wow. So you have these um, options to you. So if you're walking out and you're a bit nervous, you can hmm, hmm, try to have a bit more frontal resonance, a bit more in the nose, which can help with projection, okay. but clarity of sound. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like these exercises would improve your range, right? You can, you can sing or speak in all these different ways. Yeah. You're wanting to have this chiaroscuro, this in your entire range. And we as opera singers try to balance out so that our low notes come out in a similar sound or similar way to the high notes. So we want, you know, a voice that's lined up top to bottom. It's integrated? Yes, exactly. Integrated. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, Mm-hmm. I was going to also ask you, in addition to body language, can your facial expression change your voice? I've heard that at some call centers, they actually have mirrors next to the people who are answering the phone, and they'll tell the telephone operator to look in the mirror and to make sure that they're smiling. When yeah. you're smiling, you're happy, and therefore you're more pleasant. And- yeah. Well, we talk about it in opera as sort of like an inner smile, because... You want to have space inside uh, the mouth and you have your hard palate, then you got your soft palate and you... What's the hard, hard palate and the soft palate? Yeah. So the hard palate just behind the teeth, if you take your tongue and uh-huh. you can feel there's this, the hard crown just there, that is the hard palate. If you take your tongue and go to, along the roof of your mouth, then you'll find a fleshy bit. Okay. And that fleshy bit is the soft palate. Okay. So you're wanting the soft palate to generally be in a state of like, if you're sniffing the flower, mm. that elevated position. And when you're singing, you'll find that, you know, you're the uvula, which is the dangly bit in the mouth, it's generally going to be up. And you're, you're wanting this space, this clear passageway for breath to move and for resonance and sounds to buzz around and, and, and come up. So if you do a neutral R vowel and you just think to yourself, I feel uh so uh uh I have no facial expression, I mean my inside makeup is just of this uh we'll just go with this. It's kind of lazy. Yeah. 
But if I just do like an inner smile and I feel like I've, as I said, just sniff the flower, I can have more. Uh, do you literally think that? Is that what you tell your students? Imagine uh, I, yeah. you just sniffed a, a, a flower. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now sing. Yeah. When you sing all this, ah, uh, ah, uh, just feels uh, so good. Oh, it does. <laughs> wow. Yeah. In a smile. It's, it, In a it, smile. It works wonders because then rather than sounding flat, because again, the, the sound that we're looking for. Wow. I'm learning a lot. Plus, we just like to see people smile, so... <laughs> well, and it feels... The inner smile makes you smile. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Outwardly and inwardly. Yeah. Well, um, if you don't mind me using you as an experiment... Okay. Uh, just, just to try it. Try speaking just, you know, sort of in the back of your throat. And just... Oh, yeah. Like, aim backwards for a second. Okay, here I am speaking at the back of my throat. I actually feel myself literally pushing right, my head back. Right, And now, um, and I use an NG. I like to, hmm, this NG, hmm. Can you try an NG? And you can mm, just speak it if you like. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And see if you can get a bit more forward and feel sort of vibrations happening. So start it at the back and then move it forward? Or just, just do forward? an NG. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and feel that you get more vibrancy in the front of the face. Mm. Yeah. So what I did here at the beginning was your breath didn't actually bring the vocal folds together. I got that. But that's okay. Now, now let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So even that yeah. has a bit more. I actually more... feel a vibration in the yeah. front of my face. Yeah. And if you, and then if you allow the breath to move into it, I find you can speak into that position. So I feel like I'm shallow talking or shallow breathing right now when I when I practice that. Okay. So it's a matter of and then bringing my diaphragm into yeah. it, right? Oh boy, that's great. But then again. <laughs> That's He's great. laughing at me, not with me. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, for me, I love discovering uh, how people's voices, what they're doing, how they're working, what's going on. You know, opening up my eyes, but their eyes to what's happening. And it's interesting when people talk about the diaphragm, because it's one of the things that we uh, talk to about the diaphragm sits up under the rib cage just below the lungs and when the lungs fill with air the diaphragm opens up the rib cage on the sides but pushes down on the the viscera the contents of the stomach so the stomach then moves up but we don't use the diaphragm to control breathing so when i breathe in I'm feeling open in the rib cage, like at, your lower rib cage. At the lower, yeah. exactly. But I feel like my my back's just open a little. When I breathe out, my lower abdominal is drawing in, and it only starts to sort of release a little towards the end of the breath. But I don't want to go and collapse my lungs. Because then, of course, uh, I'm on my throat. So mm-hmm. my lungs, I'm always trying to keep open. And I'm trying to do everything with my lower... I see. Lower I assumed dollar. it was both. Yes. Well, they work 
so, together, but by isolating that, I find I'm able to manage the, the release of the airflow. So for some of the deep breathing exercises that I've done in a yoga class that I found that really work, they talked about thinking about two beach balls. Mm-hmm. One is your lower abdomen and one is basically your chest. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's, it's good to isolate and be able to, to do that. Um, I, as a tool that I use when I teach my students or when I'm looking at it myself, is I raise my arms to the sides. Yeah. And but in doing so, I feel that my rib cage opens or right. elevates a little. Right. And then what I do is I drop my arms, but try to keep my rib cage in that sort of elevated position. Oh. Then, you know, I check my shoulders because, of course, we can then hold our shoulders up. Right. My shoulders, shoulders are nice and, and relaxed. But my rib cage is open. It's feeling buoyant. And below, I feel that my stomach has the luxury to move in and out. Right. There's less pressure on it. Yeah. Because your lungs are lifted. Yeah. Your chest is expanded. There's, yeah. There's, there's movement. When we, when we uh, pant, when we giggle, you know, it's all is there. And it's... <laughs> you can... <laughs> feel it in your lower abs. Yeah. yeah. You, you, can't, you can't giggle with the upper chest. <laughs> you know? That sounds like fake laughing. Yeah. Really interesting. So... Okay. We get, get low. So we touched on this a little bit earlier when you were talking about performing, but in a general sense, can we wear out our voice? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how do we prevent that from happening? The voice, you have muscle, you have ligaments, uh, and like anything, if you overuse it, it can be worn out, as you say. So if you run a marathon, you, you, know, you don't want to go up and run another one. Vocally... It's the same thing. It's a coordination. So for people out there who are speaking a lot, maybe on their jobs, are there other things that they can do other than mm-hmm. resting their voice, things they can drink or yeah. I don't know, vitamins and minerals they can take that will help their voice? I love coffee. I love alcohol. But these are dehydrants. And so if I'm on a contract or if I'm performing the next day, I'm drinking a lot of water. I, I never drink alcohol the day before a concert. Um, but, you know, during the day, you can you can definitely think about having lots of water. You can try and look after your, your body because that is your instrument. But if you're using your voice a lot, you have to think about the way you're using it. And one of the major problems that I see in speaking today For some reason, young kids, and I think it's more prevalent in young girls, think that it's cool to speak on vocal fry. And so they're, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Oh, Uh, wow. You're right. I have heard that. Yeah. So they're talking in this vocal fry. Vocal fry. Yeah. So they're sort of manipulating going the, 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 the voice and they're down. Uh, yeah. You hear to, a cracking yeah. and it's, it's like they're trying to sound sexy or something. Exactly. Right? And it's completely tiring. It's like get a some quick friction. cracking. It's friction. That's what it yeah. is. It's a quick cracking or friction in your voice. Yeah. You see these kids who are speaking on it and um, they're damaging their voices. Uh, and the thing that they need to know is when they go to a job interview, no one likes to hear people speak on vocal fry. It's a sound that we're not um, going to take seriously because we're just constantly worried about them. So I'm wondering where this vocal fry trend 
yeah. in young women's voices. Where did that come from? Is it from characters we've seen in movies and on television? I think, um, yeah, what's around us has to play a part. Um, and I think the pop culture. Have you ever watched the CBC sitcom called Shit's Creek? I've seen it a couple of times, yeah. So the daughter on that show, whom I think is a great actress, because mm-hmm. she, she's acting a stereotype, but she does it in a very engaging way, I, yeah. in my opinion. But she certainly speaks with that, where she's like, yeah, mom, okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm yeah. not listening to this. Yeah. And she is embodying this cultural stereotype that exists right now, but she's yeah. also propagating it. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. They're actually damaging their vocal cords. Okay. Mm. Back to the efficiency of the voice. Yeah. The voice was designed. Like, were, have you ever, you've listened to a child scream. You know, a child... A baby doesn't think about the way that they sound. They don't... They just scream. You can hear it. The sound travels for miles. And does their voice tire? No. You watch how their body works and their belly. They they breathe into their belly. And that's their support mechanism. They're working as the body was intended it to happen. So we unlearn that? Yeah. So as we get older, whether it's through the environment we live in, uh, conditioning. We prefer lower, quieter sounds. So we tell you know the kids, be quiet, be quiet. Uh, so you can put restraints on yourself. In opera or in classical singing, I like to think that I'm trying to just go back to my baby state <laughs> of allowing the voice to function as it was designed to do. Mm, interesting. It seems like our voices get deeper and deeper as we age. Yep. Is that because our vocal cords are wearing out? Naturally, uh, as we get older, our voices lengthen. So when you're a child, you're going to have like that violin, really high-pitched sound. When we go through puberty, you know, they go through this sort of rapid elongating and women through puberty, their voices drop uh, a little. From what I've read, it gets lower. But then as we actually get towards sort of the end of life, I'll call it the geriatric age, uh, your voice actually starts to go up. Oh, is that right? Again. Yeah. That's interesting. The voice is constantly evolving. And that is why I love singing also and being in the practice room. Because, as I said, unlike a piano, unlike a violin where the instrument's made up, as a singer, we have to learn how to play our instrument. But at the same time, we have to build our instrument. Because every day we're putting it together. Because the way our vocal folds uh, are when we're 15 are completely different to when we're 30. Okay. I'm going to ask you the five rapid-fire questions now that I ask every guest. Yeah. First one is, what are your pet peeves? I think my pet peeves are Subway uh, system. You know, we are higher intellectuals than animals. But I feel that trying to get on a subway, we lose all based off humanity and I've seen old women be run over by guys just trying to make the subway and the next train's only we two act, minutes away we act like cattle and we treat other people like cattle exactly I think that's my big pet peeve okay now what type of learner are you do you gravitate to visual mm-hmm. auditory mm-hmm. which is what I would expect given your career yeah no visual I'm a I know I'm a visual learner when someone talks to me and they're trying to explain something, I will at some point switch out where I do need to, to read it because I'm also 
as a learner, uh, a bit of um, an introvert. I like to figure things out by myself. Um, but then there's nothing like kinesthetic, just getting up and doing it. Because in the act of doing it, you learn it. Now, it sounds like you've internalized that learning across the different categories of learning styles may actually be the most efficient and effective way to learn. Right? Yeah. So in answering that question, you answered maybe part of the third question, which is introvert or extrovert. You said you may learn best as an introvert. Yes. I think fundamentally I'm an introvert, but I think everyone has a, you know, different characteristics of both and where we get our energies. And I'm happy to get my energies from being alone. My fourth question is, what is your communication preference for personal conversations? The way we communicate with technology is fascinating because you can write it and not deal with it. You can just send a message, go off and do what you're doing, come back, great, sort things, get sorted. Um, but if you're having to sort something out, I, I much prefer talking to somebody because one, it's much more efficient. It's I knew you were going to say, you're all about efficiency. It's, it's efficient. It's faster, but also there's no um, chance for miscommunication. You know, people read things in emails that aren't necessarily there, or they perceive things in a particular way, or the tone of voice. Right. You know, and so actually just talking to somebody. You have more cues. Yeah. Yeah. The last question is, is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending to other people? So I'm always looking at the New Zealand Herald or, you know, the New Zealand version of msn.co.nz. Uh, so I get all the updates and, and I check it every day. So I know what, what's happening. Is there anything else you want to add? So anything that we missed that you were hoping you would have the opportunity to share with the listeners? I think we communicate on a daily basis. We interact with people. And I think we need to be aware of how we interact, how we communicate. And so by being aware of how our voice is working uh, and what we are doing um, can only help the way we interact and communicate with others. In the way we're perceived. Yeah. And, and want to be perceived. Nicely put. My last question then is, how can listeners connect with you? Well, I have my website, which is bradleychristensenbaritone.com, and that has all my uh, professional engagements that I have coming up. I have a bio on there. And of course, there is a contact page there that, where I can be contacted. I also am on Facebook because I know that that's a way that we have to communicate in today's world. So I will put the link up for both your website and your Facebook page on oh, the hey. show notes yeah. associated with this. Great. Thank you so much, Bradley, for sharing your time and your expertise and your voice with us. Oh, no. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bradley Christensen as much as I did. A few things he mentioned that I hope we will remember. First, breathing. The next time you're giving a presentation or making an important phone call or, say, recording a podcast, one thing to remember is breathing is critical. What we want to do is maximize our lung capacity. We need to breathe deeply. We need to breathe all the way down to the bottom of our bellies. Our breath is also affected by our posture. We need to stand up straight, be stacked, 
As Bradley says, when our body is stacked and in alignment, everything will work. Also, we should think about breathing through our mouths. Yes, it's okay to be a mouth breather when we're speaking or thinking. When we are nervous, we can also try yawning. Personally, I had heard that one before. What I hadn't heard is Bradley's recommendation of thinking about sniffing a flower. That concept was new to me. Basically, we need to use our whole bodies, from the tips of our noses all the way down to the bottom of our lungs. Breathing makes all the difference. Second, thanks to Bradley, we all now know about vocal fry. When I was growing up, it was all about the valley girl voice, right? Oh my god! Now, it's vocal fry. I'm hearing it on the radio, on TV, and in real life, and I am certainly avoiding it. One last subtle point that Bradley said that I really love is about the inner smile. He says that thinking about an inner smile activates the parts of our mouth, the hard and the soft palates, that make our voices sound ideal. The inner smile also makes us smile both inwardly and outwardly, and we all sound better when we're smiling. So that's it. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I know your time is valuable. I hope you too learn just a little bit about using your voice. I would love to hear what you think about this episode, or of course, if you have ideas for future episodes. There are many ways to connect. You can go to our website at talkabouttalk.com. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can email me at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. One last thing. If you have a moment, I would really appreciate it if you'd go to Apple iTunes and rate this podcast so you can help us get some traction. Thank you so much and talk soon. Thank you.